I'm great. I love shopping at United Sports. Absolutely love it. I wish they had one in Calgary. Well, you know, but that's then you just come up and visit us when you when you come. So it's all good. I do. That's yeah. exactly what I do. All right. So I want to start with a question that was sent in to us uh, earlier today on Twitter because I think it's a really interesting one, and I think you would be ideal. And we've talked about it before, but how does the media, how do people decide who to hire for color commentary and what is, what is it based on? Oh, well, uh, the short answer is it's based on nothing. It's based on your friendships. So what happens is, and, and every path, you know, Greg Millen's path is different than John Garrett's, is different than Louis DeBrusque's, is different than Gary Galley's, is different than Craig Simpson's. But there, is, there are common threads at the beginning. And usually what happens is a player, while they're still a player, looks in the mirror one day and goes, hmm, I'm going to have to do something after hockey. I wonder what I would like to do. And then they plant a seed in their head that they might like to do some broadcasting. And then what happens is they become buddies through whatever method. So I'll use Gary Dornhofer in his example. Gary Dornhofer was injured one time and chatted up Hockey Night in Canada's executive producer at the time, Don Wallace. And he became buddies with Don. And really, that would be the way to do it. Because then what happens is when Gary retires and he phones Don and says, hey, I'm looking for a job, Don goes, oh, yeah. I remember Gary. We interviewed him one time. It was a pretty good interview. Whether it was or not is irrelevant. Gary could talk. Let's give him a shot. I swear to God, I wish it was more complicated than that, but it is not. It's who you know and who you befriend, and and everything goes from there. The only reason Don Cherry got on the air is because Ralph Mellenby thought he'd be good, and Don buddied up with Ralph, and Don was on the air for... 40 years, darn near. So it it really is no more complicated than that, and I wish it was scientific because then we would weed a lot of pretenders out. What I remember most about Gary Dornhofer, and this is a thing about me, because it's not like he would, instead of saying Johnny on the spot, he'd say Jolly on the spot. And and I I cannot tell you how it should, I should have just let it go, but I could not let it go, Steve. I don't know why you would let it go. I remember it, and I didn't like it, but it's obviously what he grew up with. And it, the, the thing is, a producer probably wouldn't guide him away from that because he's given you a little personality, a little look into Dorney. And some analysts are very technical uh, with their analysis, and some are able to mold technical with humor. John Davidson and Harry Neal were the absolute two best at that. I don't even think anybody gets close. I mean, John Garrett could sniff it a little bit, but J.D. and Harry were the two best. And again, Harry got his job because he was buddies with somebody at TSN, and John Davidson got his job because he was buddies with somebody at Hockey Night in Canada. Well, I will leave in like Flynn, in like Flint for another time, but I will say in like (laughs) Flynn is a phrase, in like Flint was a movie, and we'll just leave it at that. Um, correct. Correct. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. So yeah. let's get to the Oilers. It's been, you know, this year is, is like, I think books will be written about this season. It's the league is a hundred years old. The November Oilers defied everything in being 
ghastly and then good in the same month, and they're the same players for crying out loud. I'll t- and you know what? You could call the book. They're the same players for crying out loud, but <laughs> it it absolutely proves the point that you and I have talked about before. The game has nothing or little to do with talent physically. Now it's everybody is equal except for about four guys who are above everybody else. But even that doesn't make a difference. The game is played with your emotions and in your head. That's the only place it's played. If you convince yourself you're a winner, you're a winner. If you convince yourself you're a loser, you're a loser. There's only one trick, how to convince yourself of the one you want and execute it. It really isn't that complicated, but that's the voice in the room, the coach, the general manager, the captain, the team leaders. They're the ones who set that tone. Yeah, go ahead. Well, should they just hire a hypnotist? You know what? I'm, I'm not going to lie. If I take over a team tomorrow, I hire a, you call it what you want, but it's going to be a confidence coach. It's going to be somebody who is just there. You know, Maxie Offenberger, I don't know if you remember him. Glenn hired him with the Oilers. And Maxie was, um, I don't know if he was a trained or, um, you know, professional psychologist or psychiatrist, but that was Maxie's job. And I met Maxie, and Maxie was a wonderful person, but that was his job was to talk to the players and just have a space and an outlet for those Oilers players at that time. You could do way worse as a team than have somebody like that on staff just to get the guys going in the right direction. It sounds silly, but I don't think it is. I've always had a theory that Sparky Anderson was more successful than his teams should have been because he was so positive. Is that sort of along the same lines? Well, it is, and, and to me, uh, the name that pops into my head is Billy Martin. Now, Billy Martin didn't pat you on the back all the time, and I thought Billy Martin was a brilliant tactician, but I also think Billy Martin knew how to, how to you know, use his players like puppets almost. He did. And, I agree. Right, and just send the right guy out there and give the right guy a boost of confidence and tell Thurman Munson he was the greatest catcher in the history of the game, stuff like that. It, it doesn't take much. I mean... Athletes are fragile at the best of times emotionally, and I think that's okay because none of us get 100% of everything. But when you have that, that bit of emotional fragility and your job is based on performance, well, that makes it even a little more pr- fragile because, you know, when you and I are done today, it's subjective how we did. But boy, oh boy, when you're keeping score and you lose 3-2, all the subjectivity goes out of it. You lost 3-2. That's hard emotionally. It is easier for some than others. You know, there'd be some like, to me, Bobby Clark never wavered. Bob, you know, you could never convince him anything other than the sun was shining and it was a beautiful day and he, Bobby Clark, was a winner. But not everybody's like that. And I think it's a, it's a rare breed that can play with those emotions and win. So I'm going to bring it back to our original conversation about getting the best hockey guy on television. Here's what I'd like. I'd like, you know, have you watched the NBA halftime with uh, with Charles and, and Shaq, uh, that that group? 
And they're very honest, yeah. they're very funny, yeah. they're very forthright, and they are not filtered. In fact, I am absolutely certain that there are 10 lawyers sweating in a room while those, that thing is on. And yet it is the most compelling sports talk that I see. And so how if you were starting out like you were a new network, the, the, the Lensky Network, and you had like a game a week in the NHL, and you wanted to hire somebody to do really good commentary, who would you get and how would you train them and what would you tell them not to do? Yeah, great question. So first of all, you put out a call that you're looking for analysts, and you will get so many tapes you won't know what to do with them. Now, the t- here's where the trick comes. You have to be the right person to listen for th- certain things. And I'm not going to lie to you, Al. In my whole time in television, my whole time, I can only think of three producers who ever did that. And I'm not including myself because I don't know where I rate. John Shannon, Ralph Mellenby, and a guy named Mark Askin in Toronto could do that, could listen to an analyst and go, "Mm, this is good, this needs to get better, this needs to get worse. I think the key is you've got to be relaxed, you've got to know what you're talking about, but here's the most important part today. Because back in the day, sometimes we only rolled in one replay after a goal. It's all we had time for. Everything was analog. Now it's digital. Now you're going to get a bunch of replays. I don't need a play-by-play in my replay. So if I was if I was dry running a guy, I'd say, "Hey, I'm going to show you a bunch of a bunch of replays, and I want you to talk through them and see what they give me." And every time you hear a commentator say, "Hey, watch this on this replay. Watch that. I love what he did here." Those are good comments. And the thing is, Al, not everybody's cut out for it. Howie Meeker was on Hockey Night forever. Because Ralph Mellenby knew what his best role was. Howie wasn't in the booth all the time. He was up there occasionally with Jim Robson and sometimes with Steve Armitage. But Ralph knew the guy's role. The problem is these guys get miscast. And then their producers are scared to death to change that casting. And they shouldn't be. So... For me, Howie Meeker replaced Bob Goldham. And, and one of the reasons I loved Howie so much was Bob Goldham would, was monotone. He sat in a chair, and when he used the telestrator, and I believe he did, he would, like, he'd circle it, and you'd see it live, and it was, it was plodding. It didn't come alive. And they have all of these wonderful graphics and things that they can show now, but after a while, the eye gets trained, and it doesn't stand out. What can the modern commentator do, or somebody who's got a TV screen and showing a highlight, what, like for me, I want to see the. I want to see what happened before the goal, and I want to see the other day. Nurse apparently uh, in the before the faceoff, he told Nuge to find an outlet, and he'd find him, and he did, and it ended up being a breakaway goal. Man, I'd like to isolate. Not that I could ever read the words, but just see the moment that it happened. You know, Al, it's there's ten moving parts, and what you want, and I agree with you. What you want is making sure every one of those 10 moving parts hits the right cog. You know, Bob, and we talk about Bob Goldham. He got his job because he knew George Retzlaff, who was producing Hockey Night in Canada at that time. So nothing's ever changed. It's always been the same. But the trick is, tell me why the puck went in. Did the goalie lose the net? Did the defenseman lose the forward? Did this happen? Did that happen? And one of the things I was taught as a producer, again, by John Shannon, is Watch the damn game when you're in the truck. If you see something, because I'm not going to you know, blow any horns, but we knew the game pretty well when we were in the truck. 
you've got to know the game pretty well. Yeah. And you say, hey, J.D., watch this. Nurse is talking to Nuge before the face-off. Analysts eat that stuff up if they're good analysts. You don't have to break it down 17 ways from Sunday. You have to say, hey, here's how players communicate on the ice. Watch this. I don't know if you can read his lips, but he tells Nuge he's going to find him. That's how you communicate on the ice. Sometimes it's unspoken. Sometimes it's spoken. But that's why it's a benefit if you play together for a long time. I'm just making this crap up right now as I'm talking to you. Yeah. But, those are the t- those, but those are the types of things that the viewer wants to hear, not a play-by-play or the words, as you can see. No crap, I can see it. I'm looking <laughs> right at it. See, Stop I, I, saying it. I think I was listening. I was on the re- I was on the road doing something last night during the game, and Bob mentioned that that uh, Hyman, I think it was I think it was or Kane, Drysaddle, and McDavid were out for a faceoff, and they dropped Nuge. Uh, and Cam Moon said that Nuge isn't out there. And then Bob said, uh, "Oh, you know, there's a skate problem. I can see it from here. There's a skate problem. That's what I want. I, I like. I don't." I, like I know that people have insight, and I know that you got, I, I understand radio. You've got to fill time, but tell me something I simply would not know unless you saw it and you told it to me. That's the key. And Al, how do you tell me something I don't know? Well, you have to know it, and that gets tricky when you have analysts that just don't know how to do anything other than talk. And the problem is. So many of them get hired because they talk and talk and talk and talk. And at the end, what did they say? Well, I'm not really sure. F for fail. I loved Gary Unger. I loved Ryan Walter. I worked with both of them. They were both charming to have dinner with. They were both horse bleep on the air because they couldn't get the car out of the garage and they couldn't tell me anything that I didn't already know. Ungi played on field completely when he was a player. He scored tons. He couldn't tell you how he scored any one of his goals. Well, <laughs> guess what? Guess what? That's not going to translate into good hockey, into good analysis. It's just not. What can you tell me about that play? Hey, watch Curry here. Watch what Curry does and how he got behind that defenseman. I don't want you to watch anything else. I just want you to watch that. That's great analysis. At home, you're making me do a little work. Never bad. When I become catatonic at home, you failed, man. <laughs> Lansky, you rock. You got to bottle that stuff. You could sell it for, well, not as much as your wife's jam, but you could sell it for a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right.